Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Jade Meskill. I'm Roy Vandewater. And I'm Derek Neighbors. So guys, uh, I thought today we'd, we'd talk about something maybe a little controversial. Uh, do we need frameworks? Like um, Rails? <laughs> maybe like Scrum. Hmm. What do you guys think? No. Yes. No. Okay. I think I think it's one of those things where they're helpful to get started, but get in your way after a while. But you think they get in your way a lot sooner than they actually do. I like to say, you know, if it's uh, individuals and interactions over our process and tools, right? Why is it the first thing that we default to agilists are, hey, you need to learn a bunch of process? Mm-hmm. And so I think, no, they're not necessary. However, I think it's very hard to do things well if you don't have any discipline. So I think what process does is it allows you to learn how as a team to be disciplined about the work that you do. And it helps highlight issues that you have that can help you uh, improve. Basically, it builds off of work that people have done before. So it's like, you know, hey, we know that all these things tend to really keep teams from performing well. You know, if you're not cross-functional, you know, if you uh, don't have a concept of time boxing, if you don't have a number of these things that you tend to struggle. So we're going to go ahead and kind of put those things before you, learn how to use them, and then as you kind of learn how to use them, you could shed them away and probably still get really good results. Um, so I'd say like, yeah, no, like, no, I don't think you need process. Um, do I think that it's hard to be good without having some guide rails to explore how you work? Yeah. I think, I think some of it comes down to like, uh, the pragmatic thinking and learning kind of talks about, uh, talks a lot about like the Dreyfus model and how early on you need rules because you don't have enough knowledge to make your own decisions, but that rules ruin experts, and all of these people that have lots of experience are now hindered by having to follow these rules when they should be trusting their intuition. Yeah, and I think people tend to find themselves being experts far before they're really experts, too, right? right? Like, that's another problem is, uh, you know, I call it the sofa king agile, right? Like, we're, we're so fucking agile that we don't need to do X, Y, Z. Like, I can turn on a dime. I can respond to anything. It's like, well, yeah, so you, you're in chaos. That's really great. Like, I don't consider that agile. Like, never getting anything done because all you do is respond to every stimulus that comes your way does not make you good. It makes you undisciplined, right? And I think that that's that difficult thing. Like, I think that's, that's a careful distinction between thinking that you've arrived and you're there and that you've finished like um, adopting Agile or whatever or finished improving and the idea of like I think I've outgrown these rules but I still need to improve and try new things all of the time because I'm not even close to where I want to be yet yeah so the litmus test I use is if somebody believes that the rules don't belong to them and they don't want them and they'll throw a fit if they have to follow rules they're probably not really a master if somebody says uh, I think that these rules could be bent, but I don't really have a problem with the rules. And if it's going to cause you all sorts of grief to, like, mm-hmm. you know, not adhere to these rules, then fine, I'll adhere to them. I generally find that's the person that's probably okay without actually having the rules. Because what they're saying is, I don't think the rules hinder me so much that I can't be effective, but I do think I know the rules well enough that when they need to be bent in certain ways, I could get more performance out of them where the amateur tends to say like, I just don't want the rules at all. Like any rules at all are going to hurt me. I agree with that. 
So uh, part of my reason for asking this question is thinking about um, like introducing new new teams, new people, and like dumping this giant framework on their heads. Uh, let's say Scrum, right? So if I'm going from nothing to Scrum, that's a lot of stuff to to learn and take in. And does that hinder or help the their ability to become more agile? I don't know. So do you do Kanban if you don't want to do that? I mean, I think I think that to me, like what I've been, I think that's even a lot to take on. Eh, not really. I mean, I, I, to I think, do it right. I, I I think the way that I look at it is, what do you want? If you want some immediate results. I think a framework like Scrum says we're going to be opinionated about a whole bunch of stuff because we know it works for most situations, so just believe us and do it. Um, I think the benefit to that is you can actually get real benefit immediately by making those changes. The downside is you have to make fundamental changes in how you work, and for a lot of people, that pisses them off and makes them turned off to the process. And so then they want nothing to do with it, and so it doesn't stick long-term. The minute that somebody says, like, okay, you don't have to do – like, even if we're getting great results from it, like, ultimately, we didn't decide to do all those things. Right. The framework told us we had to do them, so I'm going to throw them away the first chance somebody will let me. Uh, where I tend to say, like, people that have a little bit more time and can explore, you do something more like Kanban where it says, just do what you've always been doing. Just visualize it and start to ask yourself how we could improve, improve over time. I think that's a le- lot less hostile. Um, and I think that people tend to get to the same place that they get to in Scrum a lot of times, but they get there over the course of months or years, and they totally own it because they're the ones that made all those decisions. Um, I, I had a team the other day that uh, one of them was uh, kind of doing the work of what I would call the Scrum Master, and uh, one of the other person said, like, yeah, we created our own rule for uh, Kanban. It's called the card nanny, right? And it was the person that was kind of, like, helping organize the work with outside parties and working with the product owner and, and kind of, like, managing a lot of the stuff that the developers didn't want to really be doing but needed that to happen, right? And so I thought it was kind of funny. After a couple of months of Kanban, they had really implemented the equivalent of a Scrum Master but not because they, they wanted to emulate a scrum master. It's just somebody stepped into a role that was doing that and people could tell it was a different it was a different role than the developer. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's necessary. Um, I, I think it can hurt or help, right? Like I think if you want some immediate gains and you wanna, you know, if you believe that cross functionality and you believe, you know, kind of time box and being able to estimate or have some predictable delivery are really important and you wanna get those right away, I, I think Scrum can give you those things right away might it piss people off in the process and turn them off to Agile in general? Yeah, that's a possibility. So when have you seen the best results? I, I think I see the best results when it's kind of a hybrid, right? When you have, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily force you have to do all these things, but you do some kind of principle-based stuff or you do things like, um, I almost think of it's like the... Scrum is the best idea of how I would deal with this, but I'm willing to, if you have a different way to deal with this, then fine, let's deal with it a different way, right? So, you know, I think that the time boxing of iterations is a really good way to, like, force feedback in some regular thing. If you've got a better way than that form of time boxing to do something, like, cool, let's look at it. And more often than not, people just giving them the choice to say, like, if you have a better way to do it, let's hear it. They're amateurs, so they don't know. They're like, okay, well, I guess we'll just do that because I don't have a better way. Hmm. And sometimes they'll come up with a better way. Like, hey, I think we could do this instead. So you're showing them the facts, but then saying, like, right. it's your choice. If, you, if you've if you got a better idea, we'll, we'll support the best idea. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Well, it's, it's it about, becomes really hard to argue with, too. Yeah, well, it's about not being dogmatic, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, we just want results. So, like, as yeah. long as we're all okay with the results. If you, if you can manage to get, like, awesome results with Waterfall, like, by all means. Right. So, I mean, like, to me, like, uh, cross-functionality, I think people get really hung up on that. And so, like, I like to switch it more towards shared commitment. As long as we're all shared in the commitment and that any of us are willing to do the work and any of us are, um, are all of us are part of that, um, I'm okay with it not necessarily calling it cross-functionality. I think it's impossible to get that result and to have shared commitment without having some level of cross-functionality. But if somebody's going to get totally hung up on the, like, but I'm a DBA, there's no way I could do X, Y, Z, great. Let's not talk about it in those terms. Let's just talk about it that we're bringing in two stories, and the three of us are all going to commit to doing those stories, and let's not predetermine who's doing the work, and we'll go from there. Kind of reminds me of uh, something that Jim brought up in an earlier one of our podcasts when he joined us. Like the idea of like, uh, we just care about what's effective. The fact that it happens to be what makes people happiest is just a really nice coincidence and side effect. But really, it's all about getting results. Right. So maybe that's where some some adoptions go wrong is the result. The the desired state is to be doing Scrum, yeah, not right. to be getting results. Well, that's where you, especially when you start measuring how far along your Scrum adoption has gone. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of corporate rollouts in, yeah, in large I, companies, totally. and really the goal is to be to have Scrum. It really is not about delivering well, results. It, it's right? mo- it's we mo- are more agile than you. Well, no, it's not even that. It's more better, faster. So what we really care but about... No, but they're not even tracking more, better, faster. They're yeah, they tracking are. their ability to adhere to the Scrum framework. No, I, most of them, it's is your velocity increasing over time. And if your velocity is not increasing over time, we're going to get mad at you. Right. And the one of the ways that we track, like, are you getting better is, are you having stand-ups? Are you doing retrospectives? Are you doing a planning sure. meeting? What's your velocity? Right? Measuring the rules yeah, of Scrum. It's, measure, right. it's measuring the ceremonies and the rules of Scrum, not the results of a Scrum team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is... Uh, one of the things that absolutely kills Scrum is it shouldn't be about any of those things. Meaning, if you can get better by, like, like I, we, we've been trying to say um, on my current engagement is you will do Scrum or Kanban um, for two to three cycles or two to three sprints, whatever you want to call it, you know, roughly 30 days, uh, give or take, in a fairly pure form to whatever the mm-hmm. methodology or the thing is. And from then, go ahead and make whatever changes you want. And one of the measurements for change for me is have you started to change it? Because if you haven't, I don't think you're really agile, right? Because right. I, I, I think agility starts to say like, okay, we've done this and we now know like what we could do better that works for our DNA, our organization, our team, right? But the second part is measuring, are you getting real results? Not, is your velocity better? Not, are your sprint cycle shorter? Not, or whatever, but like, are you getting whatever results the business wants from you? And if you're doing those two things, like you're good to go. So it really comes down to results. I think so. Great. So what what advice would you give to people who are out there who are maybe in the midst of this uh, transformation or adopting Scrum or thinking about adopting Scrum? What what would you what would you tell them that would help them become more successful? Hmm. I mean, I, th- I think for me, it's a, a journey, not a destination. I mean, too many groups, teams, organizations, um, I look at, they say like, hey, we were going to do an a, a agile adoption or an right. agile transformation, and we want to be done in two quarters, or we want to be done in a year and a half, right? And so they put like all this effort in like to, we're adopting something, whether it be Kanban, whether it be Scrum, and the end is when everybody in the organization is doing that process. 
And I think for me, like, if you want to be successful, don't think of it as a destination of, like, we're, we're successful once everybody's doing some process. Think of it as this is a lifelong journey for your company, right? Like, you have to constantly be adapting to the world around you. And so part of it is you should be asking yourself, if you're still doing the same Scrum thing that you were doing or the same Kanban thing you were doing a year ago... You're not adapting because I guarantee your world has changed in a year, year and a half time frame. So I think part of that too is if you're not seeing your team change and you're not seeing your results improve, like there's something wrong with what you're calling agile. And results, not not velocity, right? Not, not, right. not your yes. scrumness, the, your yes. actual results. Yes. The thing I would look at too is to think about um, why you're being asked to change. Because we've dealt with so many teams that think they are like the because they happen to be the best team in the company, or for some reason they think they are the best team within their immediate surroundings. They think that they don't need to improve at all. Yeah, well, and so, like that would be my biggest advice: is like just assume you suck and get as good as you can. If you don't think you suck, you're probably already dead. Uh, what I mean by that, the analogy I give all the time is: if you look at a gold medalist in, in almost any sport, when they are standing on the gold medal pat you know, platform, getting their gold medal, they are more likely not thinking what an awesome performance I had. They are thinking about every single mistake they made that they could have done better, even though they're already getting the gold medal. They're, they're saying, you know, man, if I would have stuck that, I could have got a perfect 10, or I could have shaved an extra five seconds if I would have picked my foot up, or man, I had a bad start out of the gate, and if I would have fixed that, like, I could have beat the world record, right? Like, no matter what their performance is, they're sitting there going, I could have done something different to go better. And I think that is where exceptional teams, exceptional individuals come from, is when they look at even their best performances and say, man, I can do even better. I can find another way to make this better. Um, the people that tend to be mediocre are the people that are like, I'm great. I did the best I could. I could not possibly get any better. Because the minute you say that, even if you are the best, somebody else will come behind you that wants it more than what you want right now and take it over from you. And then, I mean... Yeah, there were, they'll make it look easy. Yeah, well, there, there was a time when there wasn't such thing as a four-minute mile, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that seemed impossible, right? But, but you know, once it was a four-minute mile, it's like, you know, it just keeps going lower and lower. I mean, like, there, there was always somebody who will find a way to outperform whatever you think the best performance mm-hmm. is. And especially in technology, because we're not limited by physical means, right? Like, somebody will invent a better mousetrap that will surpass whatever you think is the uh, pinnacle, right? If I were to say we're going to travel beyond the moon and land and do something, that might seem impossible today. But once that happens and it goes to the next level and the next level and the next level, like somebody will always one up that. And so I think that is a, a huge factor, right? Like if, if you're not looking to improve, like why are you doing agile? Like if you think you're great, I also think there's a big translation problem between uh, executives and middle management. So executives, what I hear most executives say is, I am sick of not being the best in market. I'm sick of not making our customers happy. I'm sick of not being like number one, right? What management tends to hear on a technical level is uh, they want us to be faster with better quality. And so when middle management tries to adopt Agile, it's really all about how do we get Agile to have better velocity, less defects, right? And the reality is if they produce the same shit with more, no more quickly <laughs> with enough. the same amount of defects their manager their their executives would still be asking for something different because what they're really asking for is how do we outsmart the other guys that are on the platform with us right they don't want a faster horse they want a car right like they exactly. want something that's exactly that's game. exactly it
And, and I think that's, that's one of the things that's very difficult um, for teams to realize too. Because they're just like, okay, we just need to go faster. We need to work harder. We need, and so a lot of the agile initiatives are seen as kind of like the, uh, all right, great, somebody got a whip out and they're just beating us hard with this process. Instead of saying maybe this is a process that actually frees us up to be co-creators of something great instead of just going faster at the crap that we've always done. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on the Agile Weekly Podcast. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. Leadership's not easy, is it? The dilemmas of leadership, the challenges, they're not alone in their struggle. They want to be a better leader. Yeah. Listen, it's good. Nothing but the truth. Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. Find us on iTunes. The Agile Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.